Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast. Good to have you along today. You know, as we look around at the church in America, it's no secret that practically any numerical measurement of the church that you want to use shows a decline. But do these numbers tell the whole story? For those people who like to measure, the numbers relate directly to success in their eyes. The top 100 churches make the list based on attendance or rate of attendance growth or number of dollars in giving or number of square feet in buildings or number of multi-site locations. Researchers point out that large churches are growing, others are shrinking big regional churches, they're the center of attention these days. But is that it? Will the surviving church of tomorrow be one big size fits all? Well, we'll be digging into all these questions at Group's upcoming Future of the Church Summit in Colorado. One of the resource people at that event is Christiana Rice. She's the co-author of the book, To Alter Your World, Partnering with God to Rebirth Our Communities. Welcome, Christiana. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to have you with us. You know, when we talk about this question of big versus small, you're involved in something right down to the neighborhood level in San Diego. Tell me about your neighborhood faith community. Mm, well, thanks. I love this question. We actually have a lot of people who come to our faith community, our church community um, that is in our neighborhood, and they'll say, uh, they'll come to my front door and they'll say, show me your church. Where's your church? Is this, is this your church? And I'll say, well, let me take you on a walk around our neighborhood. So I don't even let them into my house first. <laughs> because essentially, uh, the life of our church, of who we are as the body of Christ, is lived in uh, the homes that are in our neighborhood, in the businesses, in the parks, on the streets, at our schools. Um, that is what you would consider kind of a, a parish a new expression of what a parish is uh, when we think of what it means to join the activity of God and what God is doing to rebirth the community and uh, to awaken the church in our neighborhood. So we begin in the neighborhood and then yes, we do gather in our home um, and in a few other homes in our neighborhood uh, for worship and for sharing meals together and study and reflection and prayer and celebration. Um, and we also do that in a lot of other third spaces around our neighborhood and, our, in, and within our city. Well, to help us uh, understand what that looks like, how many people would gather and how often and for how long? Ooh, so you're asking numbers questions, huh? <laughs> you got me. <laughs> um, you know, that actually is a tricky question because, uh, you know, we, we feel that 20 is about a good number that we still can hold well and uh, we can care for well that, that fit comfortably in some of our larger homes, um, but that doesn't mean that that's the extent of what we would consider our uh, our worshiping community or our faith community. So we have lots of different kind of concentric centrals of circles of friends to the point where we just kind of stop counting. So um, whether it's circles of friends that come and are brushing up against our lives in different kinds of settings. So it might be a uh, book study, or it might be a theological discussion, or it might be even a 
time of prayer and meditation, or um, there's a variety of ways in which I think people in our community and neighborhood are encountering the Spirit of God, uh, but they may not be a part of our core committed group that meets regularly in my home, if that makes sense. So there's a little bit of numbers and also a little bit of, yes, and it's more, it's beyond, it's beyond numbers for yeah. you. <laughs> and, and when you say uh, the group that, that meets regularly, how often is regularly? Yes, well, so I've been in my neighborhood for about nine years, a part of this community. We actually helped form and plant and root this community in this neighborhood around nine years ago. And um, within those nine years, it's taken a bunch of different iterations. So our most um, common, I would say, maybe rhythm of meeting as a whole group would be twice a week. Hmm. Um, but then we have all kinds of other ways that our lives overlap, both um, naturally and intentionally, organically, and sometimes non-organically. Uh, where we're overlapping for all kinds of uh, shared life uh, experiences, both in our neighborhood and our wider area. So, um, so yeah, so, but our main formal time, I would say, would be our once a week Sunday evening gathering. Um, yeah. Well, why is this expression of the church, a neighborhood faith community, why, why is that especially important today? Mm, well, I do think it's especially important, but I also would, would want to say that um, our particular form is not some magic formula for uh, inventing the church of the future. In fact, we have, we have basically nurtured this form because this has been what's um, true of what the Spirit has guided us to do within our neighborhood. So in my work, and I work as actually as a, um, a consultant and coach for people who are exploring and innovating, I kind of call them missional entrepreneurs, who are wondering about what the church might look like, uh, maybe out ahead, um, as they're engaging and embedding their lives in their neighborhood. So I've seen this look different in a lot of different contexts. For us, um, partially because we have kids and our, our, the, the nature, the demographic of who we are, this form of community has been important within um, a, a society or an urban culture that um, is very fast paced, really, really emphasizes and, uh, and celebrates independence. Um, we also though, I would also say we're in a gentrifying neighborhood that um, does push out uh, a certain demographic of people of which we are trying to share and do life and, and, and um, culture, uh, nurture community within. So we do a lot of communal housing. So affordability is a big thing. So currently my family lives in a big house with three um, young adults and we've been in community for around seven years in that particular house. So these are kind of creative ways that we're saying, hey, uh, this stuff matters. These are the things that matter in our life and how does it meet? What does it mean to be the church who cares about these, these important matters uh, within our neighborhood? So those are just uh, how we do it. Yeah, yeah. When, when you think about being in community with those who you are with there, what, what are you able to do? What, what do you see that uh, is characteristic of relating to one another that uh, you wouldn't necessarily be able to do in a much larger setting? Mm, yes. Well. Um, well, as a leader, so I've been leading in my community for um, a number of years now, and I do find that uh, the same tensions come up in leadership that you would find within any um, size of group of influence. So it's not that you're, 
you know, you can still hide in community. You can still um, hide your stuff. You know, you can still feel isolated and lonely in community. You can still have a hierarchy of leadership in community. So all the same, I would say, leadership pitfalls and dynamics still exist. But one difference I, would, I have noted and noticed, and I continue to um, actually write on and, and try to encourage people in, is when we make promises, and our promises in community, you have to make some form of commitment if you're gonna live in, in, if you're gonna live in community or be some kind of a, um, a, an intentional community together. And those promises, how you state those promises, how you state those commitments, they do impact um, the way in which you view, respect, um, and, and honor your leadership structures, but also the, the ability to um, nurture and foster both vulnerability and forgiveness. So I found that conflict's inevitable, and in fact, it's probably uh, more inevitable more frequently in, in the kind of context that I'm in. Um, so we don't, we don't tend to have, we haven't had, by the grace of God, of course, we haven't yet had a huge explosion, um, but we've had lots of little explosions. But uh, we're learning that that's a major, most important, one of the most important skills is how do we move through trans, uh, conflict towards transformation. So, um, so it's, it's in our promises that we're going to stay with it. We're going to commit ourselves to one another. We're going to love each other through our uh, shadow side um, and then come out on the other side, hopefully come out of the other, other side a little stronger um, and a little more gracious and a little more whole. So I would say those were some things that stand out, stand out to me, among others, of course. And <laughs> it sounds like in that in that type of community and in that size of community, being known and to know others is something that uh, would be much more powerful, much much deeper than uh, you'd ever find in in a larger congregational setting. Yes, to know and be known. Yes, true, definitely. And yet I do still emphasize that it's possible you can still withhold, even in community. You can still withhold, you can still put on a mask. Um, we all, even if you're a part or, or a member or participating in a larger um, church gathering within another kind of form, People still know what it's like to have a, uh, a close-knit group of friends. Most people, not everyone, but a close-knit group of friends. And sometimes within that close-knit group of friends, they might be a part of your small group or your cell group. Or, um, so I would just say, simply say that the, the church expression that we are um, both experimenting with and finding a lot of life in is um, it's, it's, it's kind of less compart or, or um, decompartmentalizing. Is that a word? Mm -hmm. um, Let's make it a word. Uh, we're, we're, we're taking down some of the compartments. So I don't have a separate place that I go to, um, not that, you know, which of which is a form of church, but I don't go travel to a place um, to have to, to a service or to a, to a particular event with a group of people. In fact, that happens in a small group, small setting in my home, integrated into my life. So the integration, and somehow that does produce um, a level of being known, yes, um, that continues and continuously, I mean, continues to, to challenge me to bring my full true self to the table, to the, to the couch, <laughs> to the to the streets, across the streets, into my neighborhood. So that's, um, so again, not, I really don't want to idealize it as if 
somehow if you just go into community you you know if you start if you do an intentional community setting church suddenly you're going to be it's going to be the answer to all your loneliness it won't in fact, it's how you do that community. It's the kind of promises you make. It's the intentionality. That's what I think allows and invites the Holy Spirit to do that work of really helping you feel that sense of belonging and connection and being known. Um, so I just want to, you know, that those are kind of some of the differences. Yeah, that's helpful. I was curious, in your book, you write about people who emphasize just planting churches rather than putting down roots for churches. What do you mean by that? Yes, thanks. What a great question. Uh, Well, you know, I mean, church planting language is very um, widely used and known and familiar and helpful in so many contexts. I think uh, I'm only, I'm simply differentiating there by saying that uh, where are you planting a church um, in a, in a, in someone else's land or someone else's garden so it's more referring to can can you plant somewhere and how deep is your you know are you a raised bed in someone else's context or are you actually are you actually the plant in some ways you know in this metaphor if you're using this metaphor to be rooting your very life your very heart your very vulnerabilities into a place in which god will then shape and grow you and all of the ecosystems all around you for the flourishing of all things and the kingdom of God to come in that place. So um, I think that would just be a slight shift of the metaphor, you know, planting our lives, rooting our lives deeply in, in, and, and even seeing the church grow out of that. Um, it also, I would say it puts, uh, it really places God in, um, in an appropriate uh, place, uh, placement within the concept of what, what it means to see the church grow and to see the church flourish into the future. You know, you used the term earlier, I think, missional, and a lot of church leaders today talk about being missional, and others talk about being relational today. Can you be truly missional without being authentically relational, and can you be truly relational in the larger crowd-based church model? Well, wow, this is wonderful. These were not premeditated questions. (laughs) I didn't have these questions ahead, so I love them. I, wow, yes, of course you cannot be relational without being missional. I mean, those seem like completely uh, at odds. You know, they are synonymous. To be missional is to join the very relationship of what it means to help all people. It actually, I think, to be missional means to become fully human. And Mm. if we are fully human in this beautiful creation that God has uh, given to us and has invited us to live fully alive within, then that means we understand our interdependence to the other humans and that the mission of God means we actually find restored relationship with one another, with the created order, uh, with God, God's self with the very trinity of God. So um, I, don't, I do, don't think you can possibly separate those things. In fact, when we have, I think we've done a lot of um, dangerous, da- we've set a lot of dangerous courses, some of which we're actually reaping the consequences of now by those who have plotted the course before us of very non-relational, non-personal mission. Um, and some which we're very aware of, the way in which we've gone about mission without relational uh, intimacy and authenticity. So um, can, you, can you practice a relational 
missiology within a crowd-based or institutionalized church? Of course you can. Of course you can. You certainly can. But again, you also can, you also have the opportunity not to. Um, so I would just, I, I think I would just say in that context, um, are we examining the right things? Are we asking the right questions? So do we show up and are we, are we, when we enter into any environment of worship, are we entering in to become more fully human or are we entering in to actually disengage our very humanity? And that is, that is, a, if we examine that question, I think we can all answer, uh, answer with integrity where, who we are and are we being faithful to the mission of God of which we're all designed to enter in and participate in. You know, I know that uh, you work a lot with uh, church planters and aspiring mm -hmm. church planters. In your dealings with uh, those people, what do you typically see in terms of what their dreams are when they aspire to plant a church and they're dreaming of what that is five and ten years down the road? Uh, it, it, I, I know the at least the uh, the expectation in the past has been that uh, those church planters are are often dreaming of growing a big church and the the vision they have in their minds for five and ten years down the road is uh, uh, a huge facility and they've started from this little seed and now they have a, a huge attendance is that the dream today that you hear from most when we return to this whole question of numbers versus uh, effectiveness? Mm. Well, I, I think there's a tension there, right? Because I think, we're, I think we are at a crossroads and we've been here for a while and I'm really curious uh, looking into what's looking out ahead of us when maybe we'll move past the crossroads and into a, a new terrain. But I think there's a tension. So often um, what I'll find is uh, church planters or people who are feel a sense of call to start a church, they will come with these um, these dual dreams. So one dream is just this longing for transformation, this longing for lives to be healed and well and set free and saved by the power of Jesus Christ. Okay, so there's just this longing at a heart level, and in fact, they long for it for the for the multitudes right even though they will say but if it's only for a few i don't know you know i don't know what what is in my spiritual quiver if you will um and then there's this other tension that's like but it would also be just so great if i could also start you know that 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 church i start would become notable and noticed incredible and that maybe then we could figure out the next blueprint and maybe we could even publish a book about it <laughs> and maybe people will come visit us and maybe other churches will want to model their church planting after us and that tension those that is a real tension and i'm you, can't, you listeners can't see in the screen but i'm putting up two fists and i'm like pulling this this rubber band apart because I just don't know that you can actually exist with those. I don't know that those can coexist. Um, so that's, that's one quick statement, um, which is not quite the, the question uh, that you're asking. I do think that ultimately at the heart of hearts, church planners long for um, the things that are on God's heart. So well, justice for everyone, for all subgroups of our society, 
for the most marginalized, the most vulnerable of our communities, right? So I think, I think they long for that kind of transformation. And do, do they know what it looks like? No, because none of us do. Because that's the imagination of God that we're seeking out, right? So that may look like, uh, that may look like an, an entity or nonprofit or a for-profit business in the neighborhood that's starting to form and creating these structures. It may look like a community of people, a small ragtag group of people that's that's just throwing, you know, all cares out and abandoning their 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 uh, self self-absorbed dreams for the dream of God to go live out out uh, the kingdom of God in their neighborhood. Um, and it may look like their church community growing and in numbers. It may look like that. Um, but I think that no one, people are wanting more and more not to have to be under this, uh, this kind of dark cloud of question of, am I successful if my thing doesn't grow to a certain number? In fact, I think when, when we're released of that dark cloud, I do believe it's going to be an uncontainable movement of the spirit of God, bringing healing and restoration and communities together. And we really don't know what they're going to look like because they're all going to look different. And I don't even know that we can count them. We might just stop counting them because they're just everywhere. And we see the signs of the kingdom of Jesus arrival because the dead are raised. <laughs> the deaf can hear. And, and all, all things that are not right are made right. And you just see that happening. And so suddenly, you're not, you're, we're not even worried about who cares if we don't have a building. Let's use other buildings. Or do we need a building at all? In San Diego, you don't because the weather is always perfect. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, those are the imaginations. And in fact, I, I would say some of my, the, 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 my favorite work that I get to do is when I get to, when I get to just keep whispering in the ear of the church planter. Don't stop dreaming. Keep imagining. Hold on to your dreams because that's where the Holy Spirit is found. And that's where the Spirit's going to guide you into the wild unknown. And then you'll get, you, you just, you, it's, it's beyond what you can ask or imagine. I love how you think. <laughs> it's giving, uh, giving a fascinating peek into what, uh, mm. what might be in store for us in the future. So thank you so much, Christiana. Mm. I'm looking forward so much to your participation in the Future of the Church Summit in October on a panel that uh, is entitled Small is the New Big. Can't, mm. uh, can't wait to hear more from you on that topic. And listeners can learn more about the summit at, at uh, the website, thefutureofthechurch.com, thefutureofthechurch.com. And we'll see you all next time on the Holy Soup Podcast. God bless. <laughs>